This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. My name is Nicholas Meyer, director of Star Trek 2 and 6, and you are listening to Standard Orbit on Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I'm Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore. And today we're going to be talking about Nicholas Meyer and two movies you might be familiar with, The Wrath of Khan and The Undiscovered Country. And what we're going to be discussing was, did the director's cuts enhance or inhibit your enjoyment of either movie? overall and just kind of some general feedback on on what he did so this was your idea zach and i thought it was a very good one what what made you think of this well you think about the star trek movies you think about director's cuts everybody's mind goes to the motion picture you know that's the big one uh it didn't that that director's cut though didn't come out until a good 20 years after star trek the motion picture but with both star trek 2 and star trek 6 there have been alternate cuts pretty much since they left the theaters, because you think about Star Trek Two, they you know they had the ABC TV cut that was a big deal in the eighties. Uh, the, mm-hmm. They had extended movies like Superman the movie, Halloween. You know they they had these extended versions with alternate scenes, and for a long time these were like these lost cuts. People talked about people were like posting VHS copies on YouTube and making a big deal about them. But it must have been cool back then, like to 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 watch a movie you thought you had seen. And then you have all these extra scenes, but then also frustrating on the other side because, oh, I'm going to go buy it on VHS and it's the theatrical version again and you're missing these scenes and you're like, wait, did I imagine those? Did I not? I know when we were talking to John Tenuto about Star Trek 2, I know that's something that came up as well. But that ever since the 80s, we've had the the, uh, uh, TV cut of Star Trek 2 and that eventually became Nicholas Meyer's director's cut. And then Star Trek 6, the theatrical cut kind of disappeared almost immediately, I, I know we got our VHS tape. You know, my family got our VHS tape of Star Trek 6 back in the day. It was like, mm-hmm. they didn't call it a director's cut. It was like the special home video version or something. And it had all these extra scenes that we'll talk about here. So uh, the, the, these director's cuts ha- have been with us longer. And I feel like because of that, a lot of people don't even you know pay a lot of mind to the fact that they're, they're different versions. You know, it's funny. I, I think there's been, I, I don't know about... Star Trek 3, 4, and 5, per se, if there was anything that was done or added for the TV launch. They did for the motion picture. When it came out on VHS, they added 14 minutes 
to an already very long movie, right? <laughs> right. And, uh, and and that just, I think it got that TV version almost to three hours, which is why they did it. The special longer version, I remember. It yeah, yeah, that's really what it was. And I think it, it literally was um, a few extra scenes where um, they're outside the ship and that kind of stuff. But everybody knows I love that movie, but I liked it just the way it was originally. You, you couldn't add much more to it. Uh, but I, I do hear what you're saying in terms of Star Trek Six. It was not something that... I, I like you. I remember seeing it in the movies and then getting it on DVD or VHS at the time. I guess it was VHS at the time, and going, "What the? I don't remember that." You know, I just it, it did kind of surprise me. You know, we can talk about whether it enhanced or inhibited the enjoyment of the movie, but I will say the first thing: it certainly surprised me uh, when I when I saw it. I didn't expect it. Well, we'll start in chronological order. We'll go through Star Trek Two, and then we'll go to Star Trek Six, and. You know, Star Trek Two. Th- there are a lot of you know minor changes here and there, but nothing really fundamentally changes the movie. I feel like I feel like on the whole, and we'll we'll talk about some specifics here. But on the whole, it, it does enrich the movie because you have little moments here and there, uh, starting with uh, Kirk's birthday and uh, Bones brings in the ramen and ale, but he also brings in the glasses, and, it, and it's funny in the movie. You know, he, he gives him the glasses and, and this and that. But in the director's in the movie, you know, theatrical version, right? Then director's cut, he Kirk's like, "What are these?" <laughs> like he doesn't know what glasses are. I I actually right, right. thought that was a very odd thing, and maybe that's why they cut it out because surely Captain Kirk would know what glasses were, right? Uh, he's got an apartment full of antiques, so yeah, I would have thought so. He had a he had a a, a Commodore Vic. <laughs> so I would think if he knows what that is, then he would definitely know what classes are. Yeah, that was a, a very strange little moment in the movie in the in the director's cut. Yeah, that kind of goes by. There's there's a couple alternate takes there in, in that scene and a little extensions, but nothing really of, of, of true uh, consequence. The, the you keep going and you get again. These are like alternate takes and scene extensions. You know, like right. when uh, like when the Reliant calls uh, regular one to tell them that they're going to come take Genesis. You know, there's a couple alternate takes and extensions there, uh, especially right. when you have the Reliant team kind of talking about the whole situation. And, you know, like a, scientists have always been a part of the military. I think we <laughs> I think we talked about that last episode or the one before. Yeah. That. Yeah. It gets a lot more intense. Yeah. Though. Yeah. It's just the, the the delivery of it maybe is a little more intense. And also the way it's shot is like on a tighter lens. It's like the same, it's a pretty cool move around this. Yeah. They're having this dialogue and it's a 360 set. So the camera's going all the way around them. But in the, in the theatrical version, it's more of a wide shot. And in the director's cut, it's more of a medium shot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that's right. And I thought that was fine too. It enhanced a little bit. And, you know, there was a, even, even before that shot too, uh, they had the inspection aboard the enterprise uh, where, they talk about Scotty's nephew a little bit. You know, my sister's you know youngest, anxious to get out into space. You know, so you finally put. We all knew it was his nephew because they put it in press releases and stuff, but you wouldn't have known by watching the movie. Yeah, that that, that is the bigger element I think of anything of these little of these little scenes here and there. That subplot, if you will, of Scotty's nephew is the biggest you know loss I think when you take it out of the theatrical version. I don't know why they cut it. Maybe. For time, I and mean, that's the only thing I can think of, because there's there's really no reason to take that out of the movie. Can I mean, what do you why do you think they cut it? I really don't know why they cut it. I, I it, it is a great question. It, it didn't it didn't impact flow. I mean, when you when you put it back in there, it just again it it adds to the continuity and the understanding. 
And it is funny, some of these editorial choices that are made. And I think, too, it, it, the other thing that's funny is, you know, when you call it the director's cut, you wonder how much um, protesting goes on when a director sees his movie get all chopped up like that. You know, I, I didn't hear anything negative other than, you know, obviously Nicholas Meyer wasn't happy with the fact that they, they filmed those additional scenes of the coffin and stuff like that. That wasn't him at all. But I, I, I understood that part. But, you know, to me, it, it seemed to make a lot of sense. And, you know, even when they're in the engineering spaces, there's just a little bit more time during the inspection. And, you know, I, I just think it adds a little bit to it. it it's... I mean, what are we talking here? 15, 20 seconds? Something yeah. like that? I think grand total, it's probably two or three minutes if you extend the subplot of Scotty's nephew. And then it adds a lot of weight to him dying, of course, later on in the film. Uh, because, you know, Scotty brings up it, this this dead engineering officer to the bridge, which is its own kind of conversation. It's there for drama, right? Uh, right. Why would you bring him there not to engineering? I, I heard the perfect family explanation for this, and it was that the turbolists weren't working properly because of the attack. I said, God. Star Trek fans, at it again, always an explanation. So I, I thought that was great <laughs> explanation for that. But not only do we have the extension from the inspection scene, like you're talking about, Ken, but in Peter Preston's death scene, yep. you know, McCoy's like, sorry, Scotty. And, you know, there's a little more time for Scotty. He's like, who did this? Who would do this? You know, there's a little more emotion, a little more something for James doing to sink his teeth into than just, oh, I'm giving it all she's got, Captain, right? Yeah, and a conversation with, with Kirk, you know, and... and I just thought that that scene was more powerful um, with with all that added in there. Maybe some people thought it was too dramatic or maybe it didn't come off as authentic or something. I don't know what it could have been that they cut that out. But, you know, not that when you look at the theatrical version, right, obviously it's tighter and the death is much faster. And, and it's it's pretty quick after, you know, the turbo lift. So I, I do get it. But I don't know. I think anything that... Um, uh, puts a connection to the character just a little bit more because you know it's funny poor Ike Eisenman he wasn't a well-liked guy for whatever reason uh when we were growing up I, I think it you know kids my age and I wasn't really a kid I think I was in high school 82 yeah so I would have been a uh, a sophomore or whatnot but I mean because he was in all those Disney movies or whatever it was almost like what are you doing on Star Trek you know <laughs> he was such a visible character you know, um, it's just kind of funny. He probably, if he had been a mainstay character, he probably would have been the next Wesley. But um, it, it it was a, a, a pretty quick scene in the theatrical, but I thought a, a well-done one in the director's cut. I, I mean, I really couldn't think of anything that was added to Star Trek II that took away from it with the director's cut, to be honest with you. Yeah, so that's the that's really the big one of Star Trek II. Now, if you keep going, there are... A couple, as as we we're talking about earlier, there are a couple of snippets here and there. They extend the whole Genesis conversation uh, with Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. McCoy's like, "You're not actually in favor of these experiments," and it is. It adds, it ratchets up the drama that's already there of the disagreement. And it's totally in character. Spock, the scientist, can see the you know scientific ramifications of this. Then McCoy, you know, the moralist is like, "This is this is." This is terrible, you know, like who, who and Spock says in the wrong hands and McCoy's like, and who would be the right hands, which is a great argument for any kind of powerful device like that, I think. Yeah, yeah. It, like, again, um, it, it worked. I, I guess in the theatrical cut, it was cleaner, you know, just because it was added in there. And for whatever reason, it, the flow seemed a little bit off. I mean, a couple of the cuts between Kirk and him watching it and all that other stuff. And, you know, the, it, it's just the way it was sliced in there. But other than that little bit of choppiness, again, it, it, it enhanced the experience. And 
there is one bit that I, I really did like, and this is this is an interesting point here. So in the director's cut DVD, this mm-hmm. exists, but in the director's cut Blu-ray, the scene exists, but the line is beaded out. And it's when they they beam back from Genesis, and uh-huh. they're all, the turbo lifts are out, and they're they're crawling up the ladder, and Kirk's like, "The young man's my son." Spock says, "Fascinating." <laughs> like he's like, "On oh. yeah." <laughs> like, <laughs> I thought that was just brilliant, and uh, I, I don't know why they took it out. So, so that scene is in the director's cut Blu-ray, but the audio is muted. So you see them calling another ladder, and they just muted it because you really can't see their mouths. But I thought that was just a, a just a fun, sly kind of commentary of Spock's like commentary on Kirk's womanizing, I guess. And I thought that was hilarious, and I'm I'm very curious to why uh, Meyer muted it in the director's cut. That's the only change between the standard definition and high definition director's cuts. Yeah, you know what? It it plays better without it. I think okay. so. Yeah. It, well, what first? I don't know. It could have been any fascinating. I don't know if it was said just because of that line. I, I it did sound just odd. That was one. But two, when he says, "I'm proud to be your son," that moment had more weight. You know, I thought that was a very emotional scene when when they're in Kirk's quarters. So I just think it 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 was it was a nice way to pull the two pieces together versus then you know throwing it in for a little bit of humor. My my opinion. I see your point. You know, it does kind of play into the stuff we complain about all the time, which is uh, making light of Kirk being a womanizer, which is not entirely accurate. It's something you'd see in the Kelvin timeline, not so much as in the Prime timeline. <laughs> so I see, I see your point there, uh, Ken. But yeah, and, and honestly, that's that's really it as far as the content goes that was restored for the director's cut. Now, if you want to talk about director's cuts, right? Uh, as you alluded to, Ken, the uh, end of Star Trek Two, and that was all second unit, you know. Uh, that was added after a, a test screening. They had a test screening for Star Trek Two, and everybody left kind of depressed. <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, we got to do something about this." So they took the second unit out to like Golden Gate Park, or I believe it was, and they shot all the stuff, the sun and uh, plants and all this stuff, and Spock's coffin. And Nicholas Meyer, you know, he he hated it. He's like, "No, I killed Spock. Why are you, why are you doing this?" You know. But as he came back for Star Trek Four, and then yeah, Six, and and now making this director's cut, he recognizes, "Look, that's part of it now. It's done." I'm not going to fight it. I'm not going to take it out of my director's cut. That would be illogical, you know. Uh, so that that stands in his director's cut. Right. But uh, but yeah, and, and I definitely think. I mean, none of us saw the original cut. That's something I would like to see one day. I don't know. They keep releasing all these different versions, you know. Uh, let's see that original cut. You know, there's like a different captain's log at the end. There's are there are still alternate scenes as we've talked about. There's the whole Savic half Romulan scene. There's the scene where Sulu gets mm-hmm. mentioned having a promotion to captain, which allegedly Shatner kept flubbing because he didn't want another captain in the cast and George Decay. So uh, we, we've heard lots of stories about that over the years. Who knows what the real story is? But it'd be nice to see all these scenes one day, see what the work print cut, I guess, is what you would call it. Jeez, I, I never heard that thing about um, Shatner flubbing it. It, it. Just out of weird coincidence, in 83, I was at a convention in Boston, and George Decay was there. And uh, that was a, a topic of conversation. And um, I went up to get his autograph, you know, just a, a dopey kid and going up there. And I said, so, you know, I said, they, they, they made you a captain, but they cut it out. And he said, yeah, he, I, I said, it, it looked like um, it was just one continuous line and they just cut that piece out and there's no explanation for it. And he said, yeah, I really didn't understand it. But he never said at the time that it had anything to do with William Shatner. And if you look at that mm. scene, it was just a line that they they cut out. It wasn't like there was anything for William Shatner to flub up because after he's done saying, 
you know, he's, whatever, he's going to the Excelsior, he got promoted to captain. He says, well, I'm just glad you're here for two weeks because I don't think these kids can steer. And that doesn't have, that doesn't make any sense because you would think he's just going back to the ship, right? So I, I, I don't know if it was Shatner flubbing it or they weren't ready to promote him off the ship because they were looking at sequel. Who knows? But that's the first time I ever heard that they, uh, that it was blamed on Shatner, to be oh, honest with you. Yeah, to, to Kay, I mean, this is... Well, I if mean, to that... Kay says it, it's got to be true, right? <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. I think it's interesting to see the evolution of the complaints about Liam Shatner from certain parties, right? Because, I mean, as you're saying, you, that is as close to the time it happened as there is, right? 1983. And he's saying, yeah. I don't know why they got it, you know, but now it's like, well, you know, build and what are the captain on the crew? And, you know, so he embellishes these things as we all know. And they all and do. He wasn't, they do. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't think there was at that time, there wasn't the, the, um, the rhetoric against Shatner was still around. You know what I mean? It, it, the, even when they were making the movies, there were, <laughs> there was still like, you know, I, I remember James Doohan was probably one of the more vocal ones. Kay and Nick never really said much of anything, nor did Nichelle that I can remember back in those, those conventions in the eighties. But I, I do remember Doohan would be like, you know, Oh, you know, this thing that Bill came up with, or that, you know, he'd always say something uh, in there. And, and Takei had his, his moments as well. Um, so it wasn't like they were in love with the guy and they fell out of love with him. In fact, I think, you know, as the movies got, got moving and they came back together, what I remember was that Takei didn't want to do the movie because it, it, he felt like he was just a bus driver, his words. You know, they didn't give him anything to do. Uh, they gave uh, Kay and Iga obviously a great part and all of that. But he was vocal about it. And they had to talk him into coming back. And even Shatner was part of the team that said, we can't make the movie without you. You know, that type of thing. And so I think they added that whole being promoted to captain thing. And maybe as a, you know, F you <laughs> for making this so difficult. Or, you know, I mean, who knows? Right. They might have pulled that out of there. I mean, I, you, you never know. I mean, there's there's politics everywhere. But right. well, no, I, I, I had heard that about Star Trek V. Uh, about Decay, like he didn't want to come back, but they had to sweet talk him into coming back. But I hadn't heard that about two. Yeah, his word was, you know, I'm just a bus driver in this movie. And he really was, you know. I mean, his best line was, you know, leaving section 14 for section 50. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, interesting bit of trivia there since you brought that up. In in the, you know, to, to his few lines in the film, uh, there is there are two versions of the director's cut Blu-ray. Uh, the initial uh -huh. release uh, has a white like ISBN tag on it that has an, an editing error and and you see in the in the Kobayashi Maru scene you see Sulu and it's like you see him talk but the line of dialogue is in the wrong spot and it's it's oh. an editing problem and they fixed okay. it and they refunded everyone uh, you could send in your Blu-ray and, and get a replacement. Oh I heard about that. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it's, it has a yellow ISBN sticker so if you're out there you know if if stores still exist and when you listen to this podcast and you go and you're looking at the Star Trek 2 Blu-ray director's cut, you want to buy the one with the yellow tag. The, the white tag is incorrect. Now, it's not a deal breaker, okay? It's like literally five frames that are incorrect, but just just FYI, word to the wise, as you're doing your Christmas shopping, for all your fellow Star Trek fans out there, you want to get them Star Trek 2 the director's cut, be on the lookout for that. Hmm. I guess you were watching the uh, stock reports today, November 20th. <laughs> <laughs> Aprons, you ain't kidding. Yeah. I don't know. Walmart, Kohl's, everybody is Sears, bankruptcy, Kmart. Gone. Yeah, it's bad. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Um, get to that bin quick <laughs> and dig. <laughs> Ultimately, Ken, which version of Star Trek II do you prefer? 
I like the director's cut. I do. I, you know, I, I saw Star Trek on Stars a couple of weeks ago, Star Trek Two on Stars. Watched the whole thing. It was the theatrical cut, and it's fine. It really is. And I don't think it's it it skips a beat really. But I, I like those those moments that were added back um, because well, you love those characters and and you like seeing those moments and. That's really what they did is they enhanced a little bit the relationships, the conversations, things along those lines. They didn't go crazy, you know. It was just a, a couple of bits here and there that just allowed you to see a little bit more of your friends on screen, and it only enhanced the film. So I think we both agree then, thumbs up on the director's cut. Yes, absolutely. Now, I own both because I have the Star Trek Blu-ray collection, and the theatrical cut of Star Trek 2 came with that. <laughs> yeah. and well, then I've of course I went too. and bought yeah. the Star Trek 2 Director's Cup Blu-ray when it came out a couple years ago how many versions of Star Trek 2 do we have <laughs> you know right between tapes and DVDs and special cuts but anyway that's how it is the life of a fan right that so. is I, I, it's got to be the movie I think I've said this before I, I think I've seen Star Trek 2 far more than any other movie in existence by far because it was the first videotape you know made for home release as we were talking about with Tenuto I can't tell you how many times we watch that thing. You know, I mean, it's got to be hundreds. Uh, it's got to be, and that's that's kind of sad. But <laughs> anyway, it's it's amazing how many times I, I I do believe we could we could do a podcast, you and I, and and maybe one other, and can do every ounce of dialogue and not skip a beat one take. He asked me. He tasked me. I shall have it. That's right. Oh, good stuff. So, moving on to Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country. Uh, Nicholas Meyer also directed this film, and it came out theatrically in 1991, and then it came out on videotape, and it wasn't the film we saw in theaters. It had some extra scenes in it, and I, I believe on the side of the box, it said, like, special home video version or something like that. So it, there was some indication it wasn't the film that you had seen, but it wasn't like you had no other option. Like, this is the only one to buy. <laughs> you know, they, and they didn't change right. the title, like, saying, the director's cut or something, like they did with the motion picture, right? It was literally the title screen on Star Trek, the motion picture, uh, director's cut, like, shows the director's edition, you know. Yes. It lets you know as you're watching it. Um, Star Trek two doesn't, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> so Star Trek six has less changes, but the changes are a lot more significant. Like, it's interesting, you know, looking at it, what they did change. There are a few little like frames here and there and moments and alternate takes and timing, just, just a small handful sprinkled throughout the movie, completely inconsequential, which makes mm -hmm. me think like, that's weird. Like, <laughs> why did you even go to more effort? It seems like more effort to change those things. I don't know if they lost to me. Usually when that, what that signifies is they lost like the original material of something. And they're like, Oh, let's go back to the raw, you know, the actual reels and get like an alternate take because we can't find the take that we had. I don't know. I don't know what the real story is on that. But all that aside, there are three major scenes uh, that are different in Star Trek VI. Uh, the first one being uh, the briefing with the president, with Odo, <laughs> Rene Ajabinois, as a Colonel West in, in this in this scene. What did you What did you think of the scene where where uh, they they have a escape plan for Kirk and McCoy and they propose to the president, Ken? I thought it was okay, but unnecessary. It, it, it was weird. This whole movie with the use of, I, I thought it was kind of cool. You know, you had the fan posters up there when, when the Klingons are, you know, thinking of doing their attack and they, they roll out this poster and they've got all their ships and things on it. 
And then when you have Colonel West kind of going through his diagram using an easel and a pointer. Um, as they would in the 23rd century. As they would in the 23rd century. You know, and I think, you know, Meyer tries to ground it, and I think that's fine. Um, but it just, you know, then we'll clean their chronometers. I just, uh, I just was like, it was, I, I could understand why it was cut the first time. I, it's, you know, it's funny. It, when you talk about enhancing a movie, it was kind of a neat scene to say, to see René Abajanois, if they say that correctly. You know, you, you, you kind of smile when you saw him. Uh, but it's one of those things where I was like, eh, you know, looking at it, it, it didn't add anything. I, I, I just watched the original version again on Stars recently, and um, it flowed. It just it just kept moving. It didn't skip a beat without that scene. And it also brought less attention to the fact that they were on the 10 forward set, redressed as the president's office. <laughs> well, that too. The other thing is, why would the Romulan ambassador be sitting in on it? Yes, that is a major breach of security. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, so that was just like, you know, it just didn't make any sense, you know? And you know, speaking of, you know, René Ajabinois, we like saying it, so that's why we're saying it so much. Uh, he's Odo, but, but Kurtwood Smith, the Federation president, he goes on to play Anorax on Voyager in Year of Hell two-parter. I thought he portrayed the president very well. This president is not above the law. Yeah, yeah, he, he 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 knocked it out. It wasn't a huge role or anything, but it was pretty good. You know, his speech was a little unclear at Camp Kittimer, but you know, <laughs> yeah. If you, if you have to, that's one of the speeches where they, they probably put like presidential speech right in the script. Meyer, I, it'd be funny to 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 ask Meyer. We'll ask Brandon to ask Meyer during his next interview with him. <laughs> There's a lot of dialogue that he literally steals from history. You know, Khrushchev and things like that. There's a lot of lines in Star Trek Six that actually. Don't wait for the exist. translation. Answer me now. Yeah, or you know, um, you know, only Nixon could go to China. Things like it was just there was some really great lines in there. So just because we can do a thing doesn't mean that we must do that thing. Right? No context, right? But it probably <laughs> is pulled from some speech somewhere in the UN. I have no idea. Well, speaking yeah. of, we can jump ahead then. Speaking of his speech, we went back around to a couple other. Um, yeah, sure. New scenes, but that's where the other major change of this subplot is. So th this fundamentally changes a lot of the movie, which is why it's, I mean, in my opinion, more a lot more controversial, the director's cut of six than two, because it's revealed that the Klingon assassin that Scotty kills at, in Kittimer is, is wearing a mask. It's the Scooby-Doo ending, as we call it yes. in Star Trek fan <laughs> circles. Worf, Michael Dorn, <laughs> pulls the mask off and it's Odo. In disguise, he had, Colonel West had disguised himself as a Klingon, and and this is like interesting because the reason they're tipped off is because he bleeds red. Like, this is not Klingon blood, right? Because right. the rest of the movie they had pink blood, and I wonder it was like, is that the only reason they did that for this plot point? Because it really messes up all Star Trek continuity. Because any other movie, any other TV show, you see Klingon bleed, it's red. So with all this trouble for this twist ending. And then they cut it from the movie, and and it shows that you know that's crazy that the guy the guy in the president's inner circle who was going to break Kirk McCoy out of Repente was you know playing a double agent to assassinate the president as, disguised as a Klingon like that. That's a whole nother Pandora's box of like what's even going on here of conspiracy. So it is a lot cleaner just without that, I think, and that's the superior version where that's not even a factor. I think. Ken, what about you? Yeah, it was completely unnecessary, and uh, and and you could tell that uh, unless I'm mistaken, I don't think Michael Dorn was actually in the scene. I think that was just a voiceover. I don't remember seeing him, 
And and it makes me just think, you know, what's a public defender doing on Camp Kittimer? But that's another issue. Um, well, Colonel Wharf, right? Colonel Wharf, he's Wharf's grandfather. Colonel. Yeah. Yes, yes, Colonel Wharf. But I, I I agree with you. I think the original version, because it, it's it's fine. You you know that both Federation and Klingons are conspiring with one another. That's that's nothing new. And so to add that twist to it, I didn't think it made it like, oh, boy, this is really in depth, you know, because you, you have and I'm sure we'll talk about it in a minute. But you had that extraordinarily powerful and albeit controversial scene with Spock and Valeris. So, yeah, to me, it was like, eh, you know, it just it just got too deep into the other thing I have to admit. Right. If you read um, I Am Spock by Leonard Nimoy, he voices his frustration you know with star trek six i mean he was glad it was a good movie glad it was successful and they went out on a high note but he really didn't want the movie to go in the direction that it went right when they talked about glasnost and bringing down the wall he wasn't thinking about putting together you know a diff- a space version of the manchurian candidate and that's really what happened that's not where he wanted to go and so i, I you know I, I remember reading that and that kind of stuck in my head too and i think that kind of tainted it it's like why do we you know, we get it. <laughs> They're conspiring. I think, you know, a Klingon killing a Klingon, um, you know, that, that, that was, well, that in a sense, you had the humans cl- killing the Klingon leader. You right. had the Klingon shooting at a Klingon ship. So having a Klingon shoot the chancellor, to me, just seemed normal, you know, in terms of what was happening. And I wonder, and I hadn't even gone back and really looked at this or even just, you know, looked at the the cast listing, but was that Rene Ajabinois in the Klingon makeup? Or was that just another actor, and then you pull off the quote-unquote mask, and it's there it is, Colonel West, you know? So I don't know, because thinking about it, it didn't look like Odo was a Klingon. Um, just just that character, right, in the theatrical version straight up. So Because you yeah. get some pretty tight shots of his face with the scope and all that, and I'm, I, don't, I don't see Rene Ajibanois in there, but uh, next time I watch, I'll have, to, I'll have to keep a closer eye and see if I can and tell that, if that's really him or not, because that would have been the way to do it, you know, because it really is a human in makeup, you know? That's, <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, it wouldn't matter much. Yeah, right. So anyway, so so those two scenes kind of book in each other, uh, mm-hmm. and and you can't have one without the other, obviously. But uh, there are a couple other major scenes. I think I said three. There are actually four that they added. One of them, and this is the one I forgot speaking much earlier, is when they do the torpedo inspection, and uh, yep. it's like Scotty, Valeris, and Spock, and and they talk about how they have to inventory the torpedoes torpedoes visually. And this one, Scotty's like, "I bet that bitch killed her father." And they mention that Klingons have no tear ducts, which is you right. know, they're making them more alien in this way with pink blood, the no tear ducts. But again, this is contradictory because you see Klingons cry in other episodes and movies. So, so I, <laughs> that wasn't a very long scene. Um, I, I think it, at least them showed him taking the inventory. But I don't like I, I didn't like the line. You know, I, that that's not the Scotty I know. And, and it's, it, he could have said, I'll bet that Klingon killed, you know, her father. Why did he have to say Klingon bitch, right? That's what bothered me. It's like that—that's pretty derogatory. That—that's sexist. That's not racist, and it just—it just didn't come off well to me. You know mm. what I mean? That was—that was over the top. I, I don't know. I, I understand people can say things like that in in utter anger. You know, when you're really mad or whatever, and then you go, "Oh, I wish I could take that back," just like Kirk did in the sense where he said, "You know, let them die," and. You know, you, he, you see the expression on his face like, okay, I didn't mean to say that. You know, I went too far. Um, in this case, Scotty just muddles right along, you know. Well, even even Shatner, even Shatner mentioned that. 
because he had actually done like a, he he thought it was too far and he and there's a like a deleted scene where he kind of like shakes his hands in his head like ah, I'm sorry I, did, I didn't mean to say that but they cut it out and he was kind of upset about that because it made him look more angry than he thought Kurt should be. Yeah, yeah. So I I don't I don't think that scene did anything for the movie and it certainly didn't add any value to to um, Scotty's character. It just didn't, in my opinion. Nicholas Meyer taking out good Scotty stuff in two, putting in bad Scotty stuff in six. He must not be a Scotty fan. I don't know. <laughs> I think that um, you know Scotty had some some pretty good scenes in in that movie though, and you know he was he was one of the you know some of the, some of the things with uh, you know it'll take weeks sir or even his little thing on the speech you know the Starfleet will say we're desperate and da 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 so he had plenty of of good lines on his way out you know as the cast was leaving, and uh, why they why they put that in there I I, I don't know you know who shot that face <laughs> you know, that type of stuff. Then we get to the big one, and to me, like, all the stuff we talked about so far, I I, it, I think it does hurt the movie overall, but it's not, like, a deal-breaker for me. Like, I'd still kind of be on the fence, like, okay, which one do I like better, theatrical or the director's cut? Uh, but they make some big changes to the mind melt scene with Spock and Valeris, and it's a very intense scene, and you, there are some different angles and, like, close-ups where there were wide shots, wide shots where there were close-ups. Interesting, just alternate choices. I'm not sure why they did these, but... Uh, and as you said, Ken, this is a very powerful scene, and you really get sucked in. You hear like the music and and just the way it's the 360 camera. It's very effective, and you know, I mean, seeing this as a young age, like I was very affected by. It. I was like, "Whoa, this is this is intense. This is wrong here," you know. But all this is broken in the director's cut, in my opinion, by these insert shots of the characters they're talking about, and this is something that you never see in Star Trek. And it's so out of place, and it breaks the whole mood and tension that the scene creates. Because whenever they say General Chang, like you see a flash cut to General Chang from earlier in the movie, or Admiral Cartwright, you see a flash cut to Admiral Cartwright from earlier in the movie. And I feel like that's really like spoon feeding the audience stuff, and it seems very un Nicholas Meyer. So I was very surprised that he made that change for the director's edition. For me, I hated that scene. The new scene. It, it. I agree with you a hundred percent, Zach. They, having just saw again the movie version where they where they don't do any of it. Really, I mean, I, I forgot just how emotional that scene was, and 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 it without having any interruptions with, you know, the uh, the, the flashbacks and all that other stuff. Again, you know, here we are, Scooby Doo, Manchurian Candidate, all over again. It's like no, 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 no. Um, you know, I think those types of scenes, that type of scene, yeah, I understand it's controversial and all, but it's powerful as hell, and it's emotional as hell. And, you know, I think sometimes controversy adds to, you know, the discussion, and it adds to the emotion of the movie, and I think it, it you know, it takes a very powerful scene, and it really dilutes the hell out of it for no reason. I mean, it was just... You know, I I obviously have a lot of respect for for Nicholas Meyer and and things, but that one I, I didn't get that because you had them in the background going because you know, if you didn't remember who the who they were talking about, there you know you kind of hear Chekhov going you know of Starfleet or you know well, well, because you know, that, that type of that stuff. shows me that when they initially conceived that scene, that's why he says that. So like oh oh of that's Starfleet right. oh they, and they say Romulan Ambassador Nalkus or whatever. And you're like, I didn't know the Romulan right. ambassador's name. I didn't even know what exactly they were saying there. But they said Romulan ambassador. I know that's Romulan ambassador. So clearly, like, 
this was not something like they wanted to do and cut or didn't weren't, weren't able to figure out how to do back in 91. They just Nicholas Meyer decided to add it, you know, you know, 15 odd years later when he made this version. And, uh, and oh, and, and by the way, this scene mm-hmm. is not in yeah. that home video version we were talking about. This is the one extra change they made when it went to DVD. So the, uh, the, the, you still have the theatrical version of the mind melt scene on VHS and on like TV broadcasts and all that stuff up until uh, the, you know, the DVD you know, two disc, you know, director's cut edition. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, yeah, they, 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 they didn't help the movie at all with that. Not at all. <laughs> so then, yeah, for, for me, honestly, but mainly because of this scene, now the other two scenes, you know, they, three scenes, they don't really add to the movie either, but I mean, I could take it or leave it. I don't know, but I, because of this one, this one really pushes me over the edge to give kind of give this one a thumbs down, honestly, for the for the director's cut. Unfortunately, because usually I, I usually when you find director's cuts are better than theatrical. Usually, there's been studio interference or deleted scenes or like somebody said the movie's too long or you know there's been other factors of why director's cuts and theatrical cuts are so different. And usually, like, the artistic vision of the director wins out, and that's why director's cuts are superior. But in this case, you know, i got to give the thumbs down. I, I'm going to prefer the theatrical code. What about you, Ken? 100%. 100%. I, it's funny. So Star Trek Two, they added just enough to um, enhance it and, and make it fun and, and, and pull some things together. And then in Star Trek Six, um, remember, you know, art thrives on restraint. And what did Meyer do? He didn't follow his own advice. And uh, he, he, he tried to get a little too cute, and he added too much to it, I think, that, um, that took away from it, you know. And, and again, I, I, you know, the, the, the scene with Colonel West, both sides, eh. Uh, but the scene with Scotty, I, I flatly didn't like it. And then what he did with the, uh, the inserts during the mind meld, I, I hated it. Absolutely hated it. So there you have it, guys. Uh, it, it's interesting that Star Trek... Six is not available in HD, the director's edition. Uh, it's only the theatrical cut. So everybody's safe there. Well, I didn't realize that. Yeah, if you if you go to your, you well, actually, now that I think about it, I don't know. I don't want to be wrong again, Ken. I was wrong last week. So somebody let me know. <laughs> but I, uh, hey, I don't know. I, I have it too. I haven't looked at it on DVD. I'm trying to remember it. because remember because. Like I was saying, the the home video version and the one you see on TV, you know, in the '90s, that was this, you know, director's cut. And then when the DVD came out, you had the mind melt scene and added stuff. But I believe when they went, you know, back to the theatrical, the negative, right, for the Blu-ray, the whole HD version, I believe that's the straight up true theatrical version. Uh, so it doesn't have any of these extra scenes or the mind melt stuff. Thank goodness in it. So I think you're safe there. And that's that was the deal for Star Trek Two for a long time. You know, people loved the director's edition of Star Trek Two, uh, but it was not available on Blu-ray. And then for the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, uh, they came out with the director's edition in in uh, in HD on Blu-ray. Uh, so you do you do have the superior version of Star Trek Two <laughs> on Blu-ray. Unfortunately, we're still waiting on the superior version for Star Trek: The Motion Picture on Blu-ray. We still have the just the theatrical cut. We're stuck with that because when they created the director's edition everything was rendered in standard definition so they're kind of trapped there unfortunately now as i understand it uh darren dockerman i believe did the special effects and he has the files or someone has the files like all this exists but 
someone needs to pay for the computer and manpower to upgrade it to HD and release it. Kid, what, what do you what do you think of director's cuts? Like, do you have any favorite director's cuts that like really improved movies that you already liked or didn't like, and they and they you know, made yeah, dirt? there was one you know two years ago that I thought was dramatically different with the director's cut, and that was Batman v Superman. To be honest with you, um, <laughs> okay, you know, I went to the movies and I was like, what is going on with this film? You know, and when they put the director's cut together, it added a lot of clarity and it really enhanced the movie like tenfold. It went from a movie that was like, yeah, it's okay to wow, this is a really good film. It was really well thought out. So yeah, that's probably the most recent one uh, that I recall that I thought was, was really impressive. Um, you know, and I, I like the Superman, um, director's cut too. Uh, so th- yeah, I, I, there, there are times where it, when it does its job, there are other times where things are added in, you know, jaws, they added a lot for the TV and all that stuff. That wasn't really a director's cut, <laughs> but you know, it's just, you know, I, I like seeing like little added scenes here and there. Uh, but sometimes I'm just as fine looking at deleted scenes at the back of a DVD. So it all depends, you know, it all depends. You know, you mentioned Jaws. That makes me think of the uh, 20th anniversary edition of E.T., where uh, Steven Spielberg famously painted out all the guns from the government agents and gave them walkie-talkies. Uh, so people give George Lucas a hard time for his special editions. Spielberg is just as guilty for, for that move there, I think. But yeah, you know, Batman v Superman, it at least makes more sense as the ultimate edition. I, I still have some very fundamental problems with that movie as a Superman fan. But, uh, but I, yes, it, if, of the two, if the theatrical version is just an incomplete film. So many plot holes, nothing makes sense, you know. So at least the Ultimate Edition, uh, like or dislike the story, at least it tells the complete story of what needed to be told there. It does seem like superhero movies are the main ones, right? There's Superman the movie, yeah. there's Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut, yeah. you know. Yeah. Those seem to be the ones that benefit the most. I'll, I'll throw one out there for, for people that haven't checked it out. Daredevil, the 2003 Ben Affleck version. You know, mm-hmm. I actually, I actually like the theatrical version fine enough. People act like it's one of the worst superhero movies ever made. Uh, I thought I th- it was fine. I thought it was fine. The director's cut much better. It like yeah. it adds like a good forty minutes of like it, it uh, expands plot lines, makes a lot of other things kind of make sense. Like I, I really do and truly enjoy the Daredevil director's cut and uh, Ben Affleck. Man, Ben, what's up with Ben Affleck in movies? He's got a bad, got a bad theatrical cut uh, streak going with these superhero movies. But uh, anyway, and hey, hashtag release the Snyder cut, guys, because I really would like to see the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. But that's its own conversation for our time. But anyway, Blade Runner, I'd say, is probably one that's really famous. You know, have you seen the multiple versions of Blade Runner, Ken? I'm sure I have. It's just been a long time. So I was a Blade Runner fan when it came out, by the way. So I, you know, I enjoyed it, and I've seen the the, the new movie. And the new movie was hyped so much, I thought it was going to be the best thing on earth, and it was okay. You know, maybe it was because I heard so many things that it was just so much better and great and wonderful. And I said, ah, okay. But I guess there were more people like me than not, because that movie didn't make any money at all. I heard I heard a funny uh, commentary on that, and they said, well, it looks like everyone who saw the first Blade Runner went and saw the second Blade Runner. <laughs> So. <laughs> I think that's true. <laughs> now, I really like Blade Runner 24 now. I thought it was great, but you're right. It wasn't, like, mind-blowing or anything. It was good. It was good. I, I just was like, you know, sometimes people pump it up and you go, this is going to be the greatest thing. And I was like, yeah, it was good, but, you know, I I, I, I don't own it. <laughs> yeah, that makes me think of really Scott, you know, I mean, because he, he directed Blade Runner. Of course, there's, like, the, the theatrical cut, the director's cut, the final cut, which came out a few years ago. Ridley Scott is notorious for director's cuts. Like, you know, Alien has a director's cut. Um, the Kingdom of Heaven is pretty famous for having, like, a four-hour director's cut. 
I've never seen it. I saw a theatrical version. I thought it was fine, but but it's like ridiculously long. I, I think Gladiator, like really, Scott is one of these guys that look, man, just just release the movie. Like I don't, he's a famous enough director where you think he could release the film as he intended, right? But mm-hmm. I don't know. But anyway, he's one of those guys that there, there, there's at least two versions. I think of every Ridley Scott movie out there so anyway um but but hey you know as fans of these movies i say the more the merrier right as long as you can watch all the versions i'm looking at you george lucas i'm just throwing that out there as long as you can watch all the versions of the movies (laughs) it's not a big deal you know give us all the different versions of all the movies that we love so much as long as we can just choose which one you know to watch all right well director's cuts of nicholas meyer Star Trek movies aren't the only thing we're talking about this week on Trek FM. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, The 602 Club. Robert the Bruce isn't sort of one of these stories that we kind of get told a lot really in school. And it's kind of funny that you're talking about that you, you've just read this kind of book about, you know, my first king as it essentially were. Whereas at school, I spent a year learning about American history and kind of the rise to American Civil War and Civil War over. Like, there, there never is much kind of conversation about kind of Scottish history right, with certain things like the Jacobites and perhaps, you know, the classic world wars, for example. So, like... It's really interesting to to almost have this discussion. Melodic tricks. I think it's it's notes and the, the combinations that they use. So they will use dissonance, so notes that don't really clap that that clash and don't really go against each other. And they'll use minor and they'll use minor chords. They'll use uh, diminished chords because those sound you know the saddest, the most frightening. You know they'll use those. Some, maybe maybe an augmented chord here and there. Literary tricks. Data should have been XO half a decade ago. He should have been first officer on the ship. I have cost him years in his career because I didn't get out of his way, because I was too comfortable, because I didn't want to shake up my life, because I was scared. This is why I'm done being scared. I'm done being comfortable. I'm taking command of the Titan. That's the moment Riker says, I got to wake up. My life could end tomorrow. I need to do more. I need to be more. Warp 5. Okay, so Frankenstein kills a couple people. Mm-hmm. Right? Kills an old man, kills an old woman, scares a bunch of people, goes on the run, scares some girl guides. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some Girl Scout guides. Yep. Girl Scout guides mm-hmm. takes her cookies. <laughs> yeah. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcast. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trek.fm and click Discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. 
If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. You guys, uh, your, your contributions, your help, your support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs, you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm there all the time. Or you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Holding on the Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Trekkie01D. Celebrating Trek Tuesdays. That's tomorrow, everybody. Wear your Trek. <laughs> yes, and use the hashtag Trek Tuesday. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.